Lord Jesus, in these moments now, we ask that you would open our eyes and open our hearts unto your word. That you, Father, would teach us. That, God, you would give us strength and encouragement and comfort. Lord, that you would also challenge us. Father, I I pray that you would move me out of your way. That your words might flow forward. That mine might be stopped. God, we, we ask that you, Spirit, that you might move through the reading, through the teaching, through the proclamation of your holy word. We ask all this in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. So, Lamar shared with us a few weeks back, and he shared about a time that he was extremely thirsty. He woke up and there were blood clots in his body that should have killed him. He was dying of thirst, desperate for help, desperate for something, desperate for God to move in some way, crying out saying, Lord, what are you going to do? What will be the end of my story? The same thing is true for Clark and Ashlyn and Mally. They they saw these things on the ultrasound. They knew this is what is coming. They were desperate. They were thirsty. They were parched. They were on the brink of complete dehydration. And the Lord showed up and the Lord gave them living water, living water that flows up unto eternal life. And even though there were things that were diagnosed, once Mally was born, those things were miraculously, no other word for it, miraculously gone. I think this story is the norm. It's not the exception I think each and every one of us has been, at some point in our lives, extremely, overwhelmingly, life-threateningly thirsty. And I think that if we look to Scripture, we find that that is the standard, not the exception. And so many times we we talk about looking at Scripture and we see ourselves as the hero. But this morning we're going to look at Scripture and there's only two characters. There's one hero... And there's one who needs salvation. And I I know that you and I typically don't read the scriptures and assume that we're the Jesus character. That's the only other character. This morning, I want you to hear the story with fresh ears of a woman who was desperately thirsty. And the Lord showed up to offer her on a one-to-one meeting living water. Because at some point, you and I hopefully had a meeting like that with Jesus much like this woman had on this particular day in a town called Samaria. If you have your Bibles with you, I encourage you to take them and turn with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 4, as we continue this sermon series looking at one-on-one encounters that Jesus has throughout the Gospels. Last week, we took a detailed look at his interaction with Nicodemus. This morning, I think it is only fit and appropriate That a woman like the woman we will meet, who we don't even get her name, is put right next to, in the text, Nicodemus, who is as noble and righteous as they get in the text. Turn with me to John chapter 4. We're going to begin reading in verse 3. We'll read through verse 26. I would ask if you're physically able, would you please stand out of reverence for the public reading of God's holy word. I will read for us, and after I have completed verse 26, I'll say this is the word of the Lord. I ask you 
to respond with the words, thanks be to God, if indeed you are thankful for it. The word of the Lord beginning in chapter 4, verse 3. He, being Jesus, left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered to him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You're right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit. And those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to Him, I know that Messiah is coming, he he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who am speaking to you am he. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Jesus goes to Samaria on purpose. He goes through Samaria on purpose. If you've grown up in church, which many of us have, you you may be very familiar with this story. But just in case that you're not, I want you to understand that if you're looking at a map and you're looking at the journey that Jesus takes, it is the most direct path to go from where Jesus is up to Galilee. You pass through Samaria because it's almost a perfectly straight shot. But the problem is you have to pass through Samaria. 
Remember with me, if you will, that way back after King Solomon, long ago in history, the nation of Israel was as bountiful and as big as it would ever be. And yet the king, Rehoboam, after Solomon was cruel and rude and mean and oppressive to the people of the north. And so there was a civil war. And unlike the civil war that took place in the United States, this civil war ended this one united nation. And there was now Israel in the north and Judah in the south. Even though this war took place, God never made an exception For there to be separate worship and a separate temple on a separate mountain in Israel. He said that even though you're in separate nations, the place to worship me is in the temple that I had Solomon build for me. You will not worship these foreign gods. You will travel to Jerusalem. You will be at peace enough to go to Jerusalem and worship in my temple. And there will be no defiling of my temple. Well, the people in Israel said, I mean, that sounds good, but we're going to do our own thing. And so at every high place throughout the country of Israel, they put these temples and they put monuments and things to Yahweh in these temples, the one true living God. But they also took from all the surrounding nations, all the nations that were represented. You remember that Solomon had wives from all over the world. So there was influence of these foreign religions and they would put the foreign false gods on the same high places with the high places and monuments for Yahweh. And then there's a king that comes along named Omri. And we've been talking about Omri in our student worship services on Wednesday night, Omri moves the capital to the city of Samaria, and he is by every measure a great king by worldly standards. The one measure where King Omri falls short is that like every other king of Israel, we're told that Omri did evil in the sight of the Lord. After these two nations separate, even with the movement of the capital, Throughout the entire history of Israel as a nation, no king leads them to worship God and worship the one true living God alone. So even before Assyria comes in, in the year 722, and completely eradicates the nation of Israel, even before that, there's all sorts of false idols and false gods that have infiltrated into the northern kingdom of Israel. Think back with me to Ahab and Jezebel, to Elijah on Mount Carmel, taking over and putting to shame and putting to death many of the false prophets because there is only one true and living God. But in Israel, the majority of people never worshiped him in this way. Well, then you fast forward shortly after the Assyrians take over Israel to the north, they intentionally intermingle with the Jewish people in Israel. They intentionally marry with native-born Israelites so that they can dilute the religion even further. By the time you reach Jesus' day, all that's left of the northern nation of Israel is a remnant of a memory from these half-blooded Samaritans. They're sort of Jewish, mostly not. And they even rewrote scriptures. They changed the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, to reflect the religion that they worshipped. And so Jews genuinely had nothing but hate and discontent for any and all Samaritans. They had ruined Scripture. They were worthless in the mind of Jews. And so most Jews would actually cross the Jordan River 
and then have to cross back over the Jordan River. You cross the river two times and go 50 miles out of your way just to go from Jerusalem to Galilee to avoid even setting foot in the city of Samaria. Well, outside the city of Samaria, there's a little village. And this little village is called Sychar. And Sychar is one of those kind of villages where everybody knows everybody else's business. Have you ever grown up or been in a small town or a small village, per se, where everybody seems to know everybody's business? And if you don't really know what everybody's business is, you're going to make up what you think their business ought to be and tell everybody else that that's their business. You ever been in a town like that? I grew up in a town like that. It was called Pleasant Grove. Everybody knows everybody. Everybody calls you friend, but they may not be your friend. All right? You don't need an invitation. Come on in. But we're going to talk about you. As soon as you leave, we're going to talk about everything you did. We're going to talk about everything you ought to have did and everything you ain't did and who you done did. And we're going to talk about it all, and we're going to talk about it all night. Welcome to the town, the village of Sychar. That's where this woman lived. This anonymous woman that we're introduced to in chapter 4. We never even get her name, but Jesus goes through Samaria for her. He steps on unholy ground, talks to unholy people. As noble as Nicodemus may have been, this woman is as far on the other end of the spectrum in Jewish minds as she could have been. We also learn that she's going to the well in the middle of the day, the sixth hour, high noon. Listen, we had opening day at soccer yesterday, and let me tell you, 1145, even right now in the fall, it was rough. Okay, if I can avoid being outside in the sun, running around playing soccer at almost high noon, I'm going to. And that's how things worked in Sychar. Sychar, the women would get all the good juicy deets. They would spill the tea, so to speak, in the early mornings when they all walked together to the well. When it was cool, when it was easy, when it was breezy, that's when they shared all the best gossip. But this woman, she didn't really want to get caught in the crossfires of all this gossip. Because, you know, somebody gives you a hard time, and there's always a little bit of truth behind that hard time. Don't you know, somebody says, man, pastor, you're getting a little bit overweight. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, but inside I'm going, oh, it, yeah, it's a little bit true. It's, I mean, it's funny. We're joking. This is good. But there's a little bit of things, just a little bit. Well, this woman got tired of being stung over and over and over and over. So she's trying to go in the middle of the day when nobody's there. Well, almost nobody. She gets there and Jesus is sitting by the well and she can tell somehow or another that he is Jewish and she thinks, okay, he's a man, he's a Jew. Nobody in our culture would speak to a woman if they were a man in a setting like this, much less a Jewish man to a Samaritan woman. I'll just ease up there and when I get up there, I'll just lower my bucket down into the well. Now, this is a deep well. It's about 100 feet deep at this point in history. And so they, she says, I'm going to lower my bucket down. I won't even make a sound. It won't splash when it goes into the water. We'll pull it back up. I'll go back to town. All things are hunky-dory because i got to have water. You see, water is essential to life. She's traveled almost a mile outside of, the, outside of the town of Sychar to get water. She can't go home without the water, even though she doesn't really want to interact with this man. And so she walks up and she goes to lower her bucket in and Jesus says, uh, excuse me, ma'am, could you please give me a drink as you're drawing water? 
And I believe my, my big brother in the ministry, my, my mentor, Davin Watkins, he's the preacher and pastor at First Baptist Church in Pelham. I, I love the way that he interprets this passage. I believe it to be true and accurate. I don't think that this woman is snarky. I don't think that this woman is sarcastic. This woman has been beaten down by the world. And so when she responds, it's not incredulous. It's not this response of, how dare you? You are a Jewish man and I am a Samaritan woman. How dare you ask me for a drink? No, 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 no. This woman brings up that she's a Samaritan and she's a woman and he's a Jew and he's a man so that maybe the conversation will be cut right there. Maybe he's so tired he's just looking down. He doesn't realize what's going on, she thinks. I'll just remind him. I'll just tell him that I am a Samaritan woman and you are a Jewish man. We shouldn't be talking. And then Jesus comes back and he says, listen, if you knew who was talking to you, you'd ask me for a drink and I would give you living water that wells up to eternal life. This phrase, eternal life, we we saw Jesus use it with Nicodemus. There's only 21 chapters in the Gospel of John, and this phrase, eternal life, shows up 17 times in these brief 21 chapters. It's a big theme for Jesus. He says, you could have living water and eternal life. The woman, I believe, is genuinely confused. Can you imagine she's not expecting anybody there and how off guard she now is that this man is speaking to her? And so she says, how how are you going to do that? I mean, the well's really, really deep. And are you are you saying that you're, you're greater than our ancestors who dug this well? And Jesus goes, listen, I, I've got living water. And it can satisfy you in ways that nothing else can. He explains to her the living water that is being offered. And she says, sir, give me that water. Right there in verse 15. This is the point where you are sharing the gospel with somebody and they are at the point of, I want to be saved. I want to trust in Jesus. Tell me what I need to do. How do I get that water? And what does Jesus do? He says, go call your husband. What? Hang on, Jesus, man, I I think you're like getting a little distracted. I know it's hot. I know that this is a difficult situation. This is the point where you say, uh, Jason, come and play just as I am. And anyone who's ready, come down the aisle. And after one stanza of just as I am, she is saved. And we'll get her baptized next week. Come on, Jesus, stop getting distracted. This is the moment, right? But Jesus intentionally says, go call your husband. And what does she say back? I don't, I, don't, I don't have a husband. I think she says it ashamedly, embarrassed. Can you imagine? This is humiliating. Don't overlook that Jesus just said, Hey, how you doing? How are things in your relationship? Oh, we broke up. Okay. So what else is new in life? How are you doing? This is the situation where you go up to a woman and say, oh my goodness, you're, you're glowing. You just look so beautiful. How far along are you? And the woman says, what are you talking about? I ain't pregnant. Right. I'm, you just, natural glow of a woman and you just, I'll be over here. I, I mean, there's no way out of that situation, men. 
Don't ever do that, just in case anybody ever thinks that's a good thing to do. Don't. Even if you know they're praying, just don't. Don't go there. That's a bad place to go. Jesus intentionally says, go get your husband. And she replies, says, I don't have one. So what do we expect for Jesus? To, to back out of this awkward situation? To be kind? To be, to be gracious? To be compassionate? No. It seems like Jesus digs the knife in further and twists it. He says, you know what, girl? You right. You right. You ain't got no husband. In fact, you've had five husbands. And the dude you're shacking up with now, he ain't your husband, girl, is he? Like, Jesus, she, she avoided the people in the morning so folks wouldn't talk to her like that. What are you doing? You had her at the point of salvation. What are you doing, Jesus? I believe with all my heart. Jesus is reminding this woman how thirsty she really is. Folks, we we have no idea what happened with those five husbands. Back in ancient times, your husband could have been much older than you if you were the wife. Your husband could have died in battle. There's a lot of different possibilities, okay? But there's been five. Let's say three of them died and there's two left. Maybe there was an affair. Maybe there was promiscuity. She has gone back to the well of men over and over and over again. And finally, she gave up on the institution of marriage. i got to have somebody to take care of me. I'll just live with this guy and sleep with him every night, but we won't get married. At least I'll have some provision because she's a woman. Otherwise, she's destitute. She's given up on men. Every man has let her down in some way or another. She is desperately Thirsty And Jesus, before he gets to the point where he says, here's how you get the living water, he wants her to fully understand how desperate and thirsty she really is. And so, Jesus points out the five husbands. And then, what's her response? Uh, Let's change the subject. If you go to share the gospel with your one, if you go to share the gospel with somebody and you point out their sin right in front of their face, the conversation's probably going to be over. All right. People typically don't like for us to come across as self-righteous and judgmental. And well, let me tell you what's wrong in your life is because you're doing this and this and this and this. And if you wasn't doing this and this and this and caught up in so much sin, maybe your life would be better. That's not a good way to go about proclaiming the gospel jesus can do it because he's the messiah and he already knew everything that this woman was doing i I don't encourage us to do that but if for some miracle the conversation continues well they're going to change the subject they're going to change the subject quick she doesn't know what else to change the subject to hey sounds like you're a prophet um you know samaritans jews we worship different places what you got to say about that and he doesn't he doesn't let her off the hook and then she says, I know Messiah is coming. I don't know a lot, but I know that Messiah is coming. And this is one of those times where Jesus says in Greek, in the Greek writing, it is the same structure as what Moses hears when God says, I am who I am. Jesus looks at this woman and says, the person you're talking to, he says, ego a me. I am. Jesus says, I am the great I am. He says, I am the Messiah. I am the one you've been waiting for. And what does this woman do? She has no other response. She literally leaves her water jar. 
She's been so thirsty, she had big jugs that she had to carry all the way back to the house. These jars that were enormous, and some of them they'd have to carry on top of her head. Folks, she rushes back to the town, leaving the water at the well. Because she found better water. She was desperate, and she found better water. And she goes back to the town. And I want us to look. Turn with me just to the very end of the story. The last few verses of chapter 4, beginning in verse 39. Verse 39. She goes back after this conversation with Jesus. And many Samaritans from Sychar believed in Him, being Jesus, because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything that I ever did. You know, all she did was show up and say, come and see. I think I might have found the Messiah. And they said, what do you mean? She said, come and see. I I think I may have found the Messiah. Come and see. This might be the one. He told me everything I've ever done. And in the small town of Sychar, they probably all said, girl, everybody in this town knows everything you've ever done. And she said, no, 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 he's a Jew. He's not from around here. And he knew everything about my life. This might be the Messiah. He is a prophet. Come and see. And no one could deny her story. No one could deny what she experienced, what she had been through. Doctors can look at different ultrasounds. They can look at different scans and they can say, this might have just been a hiccup. This might have just been some odd thing that happened and they're doing the best of their ability. They're using their knowledge. They don't mean to be spiteful or or, or give credit to anything other than the Lord. But you and I know what our story is. We know when there was a cyst and now there's not. We know when there was duodenal separation and congestion and blockage and we know when there was all these diseases and now there's not that's our story and i think that's the norm that all of us have some story have some testimony like this woman come and see because he told me everything that i've ever done come and see because here is why i know If you were to have a spiritual conversation and somebody were to say to you, why do you follow Jesus? Why do you do all that church stuff? Why do you commit your life to all of those things and volunteer so much of your time? Why do you do that? How would you answer? Would you you answer like this woman? There was a time when I was dying Because I was so thirsty. And I found living water. Or would you say, I don't don't, don't know. I mean, you know, I've always done it that way. I I grew up in church. I just go to church because that's what we're supposed to do. Maybe Jesus didn't make a special journey to Samaria for you. Maybe Jesus made a special journey to your cousin's house when you were three years old. And you're sitting in the back seat of your mom's Oldsmobile and the ceiling sagged and we put tacks up there to hold it up. And we jokingly sang songs, the tacks at night are round and bright, deep in the car of Terry. And in the midst of all the jokes, Jesus showed up. And your cousin Sam said, 
hey, Nathan, I, I want to tell you about Jesus, and I want to tell you how you go to heaven, and that's the only way there is. It's the most vivid memory that you have. And some people tell you it wasn't real. Some people tell you, hey, you were too young to get it. You were too young to understand. But you can't take away that I was thirsty and God showed up in the form of my cousin Sam to tell me the gospel. And I found living water. And I have reaffirmed over and over again. And God has reaffirmed over and over again in my life that he's real. And that's why I follow. Because every time I've been thirsty, there's been living water. Whether the healing was there that I was asking for or not, there's been living water. I think if you and I think about it, there's probably a time that Jesus made a special trip just for you. Maybe it wasn't in an old Oldsmobile. Maybe it wasn't in Samaria. Maybe it wasn't even a salvation experience. Maybe it was a testimony like Lamar. Maybe it was a testimony like Clark and Ashland. Maybe it's a testimony like Heath Williamson. We're going to hear from him in November. Maybe it's not something that is so fantastic and I was on the brink of death, but maybe it was emotionally, spiritually, mentally, I was destitute. What's your story? Your story of how God has moved in your life is Powerful and undeniable. Nobody could deny that something happened to this woman. Nobody could deny that something happened to the followers of Jesus. They went to their deaths saying, it's real. It's real. If they were lying, at some point they would have given up. But they went to their deaths saying, it's real. They told their story and nobody could deny their story. It was real. What's your story? How has God shown up for you? Is it your story of how you first met Christ? Is it your story of how God was faithful to you even through death, even through illness, even through sickness, even through shame, even through financial hardship? What's your story? Because if you and I are faithful to share our story, I promise there will eventually be a response like the village of Sakar. They came and believed because of the woman. And then look, look how it ends. Verse 41, and, and many more believed because of his word. And they then said to the woman in verse 42, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. A two-day revival broke out. Jesus sat and taught. Did you know that sharing your story could cause a two-day revival to break out in your town? Where people share their stories of how Jesus met them. And the people who come and the people who hear end up leaving saying, you know, I came here because I heard from Jeff about how God moved in his life. I came here because I heard from Tony about how God moved in his life. But I'm leaving here having experienced God move in my life. As we go through this strategy of who's your one, be ready to share your story with your one. And this morning, if you don't have a story 
of being desperately thirsty and God showing up for you, of realizing your place in the spiritual realms, of being separated from God and realizing that Christ crossed the chasm, died on a cross, that we could be free, that we could have this eternal life, this living water. If you've never trusted, would you trust today? Because I I promise you, over and over again, for 33 years of my life, God has shown up and he has never let me down. He will never let you down. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He is good when life is good. He is good when life is bad. Will you trust Him and start your own story following Him today? Folks, did you pick a one yet? Is there somebody that you have set aside that I'm going to reach out to them with the gospel? I'm going to share my story with them the way that this woman shared her story. It's not too late. We still have bookmarks on this table right down here. We still have prayer guides. Would you be willing to pick a one and pray for them? Find a way to have spiritual conversations with them and tell them the same story that this woman told the villagers in Sychar. Would you do that today? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your love and your mercy. We thank you that you made a special trip to Sychar. We thank you that you made a special trip to Pleasant Grove. We thank you that you often make special trips to Covington County. Lord, would you move this morning and inspire us to share our story of encountering you. Father, I I thank you for how you're at work. Lord, don't allow us to be timid or scared, but help us to be bold in sharing about you. Let us follow the example set by this anonymous woman that you met at this well. And Lord, if there's anyone here who does not already trust in you, God, would you move on their heart and help them to see their great need for your forgiveness and your rescue. We love you, Lord. We ask that you would move during this time of invitation. We ask all this in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit. Amen.